you're here today. Uh, we passed out this book a few weeks ago entitled, I Am a Church Member by Tom Rayner. Uh, each family gets a free copy. So if you haven't gotten yours, please pick one up in the Welcome Center. And what we've been doing is uh, just reading this book uh, together as a church. And then on each Sunday morning, I'm taking a particular chapter and writing a sermon that parallels or goes with that chapter. Today, uh, we're on chapter 3 of Tom Rayner's book. And chapter 3 is entitled, I will not let my church membership be about my preferences and my desires. If you haven't read the chapter, please go home and do so, man. I mean, he's shooting with both barrels and they're smoking, you know. Uh, he says it a whole lot better than, than I could or that I'm going to. And along with that video, I just thought about, you know, uh, letting you go after you see the little video there. What about that? Uh, again, not, on, not a chance on your life, man. Here's what I want you to know. Uh, church is not just about you, okay? It's not just about you. Church is about serving God and serving others. Uh, let's open our Bibles to uh, John's Gospel, chapter 13. Even in Jesus' last hours of his life, he drove home this truth to his followers, that life is about serving God and serving other people. And as I reread chapter 3, my mind uh, just immediately went to this uh, awesome passage of scripture in John chapter 13. Let, let me start by reading verses 1 through 5. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing on the reading of your word. Speak it into our hearts and challenge us to suit up for service. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. The setting in John chapter 13 is pretty intimate. Close friends, flickering lamp lights. Jesus and his disciples come into the house off dirt roads. They're, they're wearing open sandals. Their feet were covered in dirt and mud and grime. Hey, do you remember when you was a kid and you played outside without any shoes or socks on and you'd come running into the house and your feet would be all grimy and your mom would look at you and say, you get to the bathroom and wash those dirty feet? Anybody? Okay. See, in first service, nobody remembered that. It had been too long for them. So uh, I'm glad some of you, you remember that, all right? Well, typically the host of the home would have a servant stationed by the front door next to large water pots. And his duty was to wash the feet of the guest as they came into the house. Only the lowest of slaves would be assigned this unpleasant task of holding and washing dirty, grimy feet of others. However, in some instances when this kind of slave was not available, usually one of those who gathered would take it upon themselves to wash the feet of the other guest in the room. 
In this instance, however, the disciples had already moved to the table to begin their meal and, and still not a single one of them had moved to wash the other's feet. Maybe they sheepishly looked around waiting for somebody else to do the dirty work, thinking that they were just a little bit above that. Well, imagine their surprise when Jesus himself got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Really what Jesus was doing when he did that, when he took off his coat, took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, he was suiting up for service. Okay? He was suiting up to serve. Jesus then took a basin of water and began to move around the room, washing the filthy feet of his disciples and drying them off with a towel that was around his waist. After having done all of this and finding some resistance from the disciples, I might add, Jesus went on to say to them in verse 12, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than him who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, here are some things I learned from Jesus about suiting up for service. To suit up for service like Jesus, the first thing we need to know is this. I'm not loving... If I'm not serving, we say it again, I am not loving if I am not serving. You cannot separate Christian love and serving. In verse number one, it says, Having loved his own disciples who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus has been showing merciful, saving, forgiving, healing, love to his followers. And as this verse says, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved his disciples. You might wonder, well, did he love those who were not his disciples? Did he love the people in the world? Yes, he certainly loved them. But here we get a glimpse into Jesus' heart for his followers Jesus loves his own. And if you belong to Jesus Christ today, you are one of his followers, you need to know that he loves you. He loves you deeply. And now Jesus is about to show the full extent of his love to his disciples. To bring his love to completion by serving them. Now, you cannot separate love from serving Love is not complete until it serves. And Jesus showed them that. He humbled himself. He became a servant. He washed their feet. We learn this from God himself. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love is shown in service. So we are to follow the Lord's lead. 1 John chapter 3, 16 through 18. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees that his brother is in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. That's how we are to treat one another, with love, serving one another. You know, there are times when service takes on an extraordinary, heroic face. Maybe you heard about the recent story of a family that was uh, hiking in the Rocky Mountains and there was this huge rock slide that sent these great boulders tumbling down on the trail. The father, a guy by the name of Dwayne Johnson, did not have time to protect his entire family. But in the last second before the boulders hit, he threw his body over his 13-year-old daughter, Gracie. The rest of the family, including the dad, perished. But rescuers pulled Gracie alive out of the pile of boulders, her dad covering her. They said that her father's heroic last-minute effort saved her life. And there are times when service does something heroic. And you know what? Certainly Jesus was about to do that for all of us by dying on the cross. Matthew 20, 28, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. You know, we kind of like it when we get to do something heroic, don't we? When we get to serve in a big kind of way where everybody knows about it and it's published. <laughs> but most of the time, our love is simply shown in the simple everyday things that we do in the name of Jesus to help somebody else out. That's what true service is. Serving when nobody else knows about it or is even looking. I heard about a husband who said to his wife, Honey, I love you. I love you so much, babe. I love you so much that I would die for you. The wife said, Sweetheart, thank you for loving me so much, but I don't need you to die for me. I just need you to take out the garbage. <laughs> I'm not loving if I'm not serving. When I come to church... It should not be with the attitude, what can I get out of this? I mean, what, what can these people do for me? What can I get from this? That's not the attitude we should have when we come to church. When we come to church, we should have the attitude, what can I give? How can I serve? How can I love? How can I minister? To suit up for service like Jesus means that we serve. But number two, it also means that we cannot be self-absorbed. Now, just put yourself in Jesus' sandals for a moment. Think of what Jesus was facing in John chapter 13. Verse 1 says, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now, if there was ever a time for Jesus to be self-absorbed, it was now. He was about to leave this world and go to the Father. But between here and there stood the cross, 
where Jesus would endure unspeakable agony and pain. Not just the physical pain of the torture of a Roman crucifixion, but he would endure great emotional and spiritual agony as your sins and my sins and the sins of the entire world were heaped upon him. And Jesus knew that that moment was only hours away. He could have easily been self-absorbed, but he wasn't. He was focused on others. You know, some of you may be sitting here thinking, okay, preacher, I've heard all this before, but you know what? I'm just too old to serve. I'm too weak to serve. I wouldn't be much good to anybody. You know, besides all that, I've been hurt. Oh, so-and-so said something about me and hurt my feelings, and why in the world would I want to serve them? Would you quit it? I've been wanting to do that all sermon long. Would you just stop it? If anyone had the right to be self-absorbed, it was Jesus. But he wasn't. On top of that, Jesus was about to be betrayed by one of his closest followers, Judas. Verse 2, the evening meal was about to be served or was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now, Now get this. Jesus is sitting right there by Judas. Judas is at the table. And Jesus knew what was about to happen. Again, if there was ever a time for Jesus to be self-absorbed, it was right now. Not only was he about to face unspeakable pain, but he was about to endure cold-hearted betrayal. You see, Judas Judas allowed himself to be a, a tool of the devil to the point and the plot of crucifying Jesus. He was a paid killer. Judas was a paid assassin. He was given money by the Jewish authorities to hand over Jesus. And later, that very night, he would identify Jesus to the arresting soldiers with a kiss of betrayal on Jesus' cheek. And the interesting thing about all of this is that Jesus knew it was going to happen. Jesus knew what Judas had already done and what he was about to do. But yet, Jesus humbled himself before Judas and washed his feet. Some of you have been AWOL from service because you've been hurt. because things didn't go your way or because you became angry maybe the preacher didn't shake your hand or somebody didn't smile at you you're mad about it you're not serving I've got a word for you I'm being mean right now I'm about to get nice okay I'm going to end this on a nice note but I'm mean right now Would you quit sulking and start serving? I mean, here's the deal. All of us have problems. Some of us have some great big problems. And you know what? We can become so self-absorbed with our own problems that we don't have any time for anyone else. 
because our eyes are on ourselves. I learned from Jesus in John chapter 13 that if I'm to suit up for service, it means that I can't be self-absorbed. I can't be playing my own little pity party. And you know what? Here's the deal. It is amazing how much better you will feel if you will get your eyes off of your own problems and start serving and helping the needs of someone else. And what else is amazing is that when you step back and look at it, yeah, you may have problems. And yeah, you know, you may have been treated badly in church. But you know what? In the bigger scheme of things and the bigger picture is there are people who have worse problems than you do. And you talk about having a fellow church member betray you? (laughs) There's nothing like happening in John chapter 13 happening in our church. I learned something else from Jesus about suiting up for service. That's number three. No one is too important to be a servant. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. Now, just think about that statement for a moment. Think of, of all that tells us about the authority and the reign of Jesus Christ, the King of kings. We're talking about the Son of God here. He knew that after His resurrection, He would return to the Father and assume the throne of the kingdom of the universe. He had a name that was above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that He is Lord. I mean, He's Jesus. And if anyone had the prerogative to think, you know what, I am just way too important to kneel down and wash dirty feet, it had to be Jesus. But He didn't do that. Now, Jesus was always teaching and always coaching. And so he's teaching his disciples something here. He washed the feet of the disciples because they needed to have their feet washed. But you know what? He also had something else in mind. He wanted them to understand something about the life of service that he was saving them for and calling them to. Listen to what he said in verse 12 and following. He said, do you understand what I have done for you? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. That's pretty plain and pretty simple. You know what? I think it hits all of us. Don't think you're too high to go low. Too important to serve. Verse 17, Jesus said, now that you know these things, the old King James says, happy you will be if you do them. Newer translations say, you will be blessed if you do them. So the blessing is not in knowing these things. The blessing is in doing these things. How many of you know that the the great blessing is in giving? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me go back up to verse 15 quickly. Jesus said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
And through the ages, the followers of Jesus have suited up and they stepped out on the field to follow Jesus in a life of selfless service. And I thank God for that. I thank God for the countless Christians who through the ages have gotten it. I mean, they understand it. It's become real to them. They understand what the Christian life is all about. They understand what being a part of the family of faith is, or what being a, a part of a church means, and that is to serve. Really, one of the great blessings of being a, a part of a serving church like Kavanaugh is to, to be able to see this. Our people have been engaged in showing the love of Jesus for a long time. In fact, we as, as fellow Kavanaugh people know what a life of service, an on-mission life looks like because we see it fleshed out before us. Not only right now in this current congregation, but we've seen it going on through Kavanaugh for years. People who, like Tom Rainer said, realize that church is not just about me, myself, and I. Really, from a biblical perspective, he said, it is all about servanthood. It's about putting others first and not throwing a temper tantrum when I don't get my way. Let me tell you, you need to read the chapter. You think I'm being hard on you. You just read the chapter. and He says it better than I could. That's what it's about. Loving God, loving people. Serving God, serving people. And I want you to know I'm thankful that I am part of a church that understands that, that gets it. I'd put my pen down having written this sermon, and I thought, you know what, that's, that's awesome and that's great, but you know, there's got to be a little more to it for us. So I began to think back through my 16 years here of the people that have fleshed this out for us. People who have left a legacy of what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And I made a long list. I mean, if, if I read you the list of people and said something about them from our church who have, who have fleshed John chapter 13 out and are the kind of people that Tom Rainer talks about in chapter 3 of his book, we'd be here the rest of the day. But I can't do that to you. So I just narrowed it down to three illustrations. Here are three people or three groups of people from our church who have left us a legacy of what Christian service is all about. They were people who, who got it. They understood it. And they lived it. The first is a couple. It's, it's Don and Alice Yarbrough. Now Don and Alice have been a part of Kavanaugh Church since like 1974. This year we lost both of them. Miss Alice passed away in March, but the Don passed away in August. They, they came to our first service. So unless you're a, an old-time member here, uh, you know, or, or, or knew them, uh, you may not know their name, Don and Alice Yarbrough. But let me tell you something. Don and Alice understood it. They got it. First of all, they love their church. Man, they love Kavanaugh. They love this place, and they love the people who make Kavanaugh up. But they knew how to serve. Just a couple of years after I came here, we, we, uh, 
we engaged in a new ministry. It was called Family Shepherding Lay Ministry. And what we did is, is, is kind of divide our congregation up. Basically, it went according to Sunday school classes. And, and uh, we had a leader for each little group, uh, each little uh, fold or congregation, if you want to call them that. And, uh, and we assigned them a lay shepherd, someone who would look over them and kind of be their pastor to a small group. And, of course, Don and Alice uh, took their Sunday school class. Let me tell you, they took it to the next level. If, if, you, if you just happen to be a part of their shepherding group, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Man, they loved on their people. They cared about their people. If there was a need, they, they met that need. Even after we kind of finished that ministry and it tailed off and we didn't push it any longer, they held on to it. And up until the time they died, they were still ministering their flock. You see, they got it. They understood what serving others was all about. The next lady I want to talk about, I've been thinking about all week. In fact, I found out that today's actually her, her birthday. It's Maxine Tabor. Miss Maxine left us back in 06. Well, what a sweet lady she was. Huh? Man, back around 2000, uh, we were kind of going through a transition here in the church. And, and I don't want to say that we ever had worship wars like Tom Rainer talks about in chapter 3. But we came pretty close to it. <laughs> Can I tell you what's amazing to me? That people will tolerate heresy being preached from the pulpit. But you try to change the way the music is done. And you've started World War III. You're giggling, but I'm serious. And we were kind of going through this, this change back around 2000, trying to find our identity in music and figure out what's right for us. And it ended up we went to two services. And, and now we kind of got a groove here at two services. Nine o'clock is traditional. You know what 1030 is because you come here. Let me just tell you, if you don't like this service, you don't like the music, you can go to nine o'clock service. That's pretty blunt, wasn't it? But I say it in love. That's why we do it. Well, all this was going on and, you know, people getting mad. Some people left the church. Steve asked his mother one day, Mom, what, what do you think about the music? Because she was coming to 1030 service. She was listening to this loud music. Mom, what do you think about the music and the worship? And bless her heart, Miss Tabor looked at Steve and she said, Stephen, it doesn't matter what I think because they're not singing to me. Wow. She got it. She understood it. It's not just about her, it's about God and others. The third guy that came to my mind is uh, Bob Butler. Mr. Cavanaugh is what I called him. Bob was our board chairman for well over 30 years. He was Mr. Cavanaugh. He was the face of our church. He loved his church. I told the first service two stories about him. First of all, 
Again, I, I'd only been here a short time, and uh, um, things were going great, but then things weren't going great. There's some people that maybe didn't like me or didn't like the change after 28 years of having the former pastor, and some stuff happened, and, and uh, some people were leaving. It looked like a lot of people were going to leave. I was a little worried about it. My office was right over here in the corner back in those days, and so Bob came in one day, and we were talking about it. And uh, I asked him, I said, Bob, what do you think is going to happen? He said, well, I preach, I don't know. I said, I wonder how many people are going to leave. He said, preach, I don't know. He said, preach. It may come down to just you and me. Now, that didn't make me feel very good. But then he said, but I'm not going anywhere because this is my church. And it was his church. Bob always looked good. I mean, uh, always well-groomed, his hair was always in place, never out of place. He, he just always looked like a, a brand new $100 bill. He, even when he was dressed casual, I've seen him wearing shorts and tennis shoes, he still looked good, you know. Yeah. Always looking good. Mr. Cavanaugh. But my fondest memory of Bob, my fondest picture of Bob was at an Adopt-A-Family event in our gym. He and Miss Joanne were wearing Santa's hats. Kind of out of character for Bob to wear a Santa's hat. I mean, he's Mr. Cavanaugh, but he's wearing a Santa's hat. And he's serving pizza to the families who came to adopt a family. Here's the chairman of our church board, Mr. Cavanaugh. doing the job of a waiter, a servant. He got it. I told Angie not long ago, in fact, it was right after Don's funeral. I said, Angie, we're, we're going to miss Don and Alice, and I named some of these other people, these great saints of God. We're going we're to miss them, and you know what? You can't replace people like that. Now, please don't take me wrong. I'm, I'm not grinding you right now. I'm just, I'm just, this is an observation. That was a generation of people who were really grateful for what they had. I'm, I'm afraid our current generation just expects it or demands it with very little gratitude or thankfulness. That's harping on you a little bit, isn't it? But let me tell you the good thing. We've learned from these examples. I look across this church and I'm thankful for you. Because most of you got it.
you understand. The church membership is not just about you. <laughs> it's not about me, myself, and I. It's about serving God and serving others. So can I tell you thanks? Thank you. Thank you for having a heart of service. Thank you for loving God and loving others. Thank you for all you do in and through this church. And as a little preventive preaching, let's, let's don't allow what Rainer talks about in chapter 3 of his book to happen here at Kavanaugh. Let's don't make church membership about my preference and my desires. Because it's not. And the minute we do, the minute the foundation begins to crumble.